This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. This morning's scripture reading can be found in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 21, starting in verse 17. Again, that is 1 Kings, chapter 21, starting in verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up, and will cut, you up, will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel from within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the disaster upon his house. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we recognize that we are all people who have done what is evil in your sight. Lord, as we read the scriptures, uh, we are reminded of many throughout the years uh, who have sinned against you, who have sinned against your people. And Lord, I pray that we would not lose sight that we can count ourselves among that number. Father, I pray that when we see the consequences for sin, we would not just ignore them or, or, or place our own uh, ideas of what the consequences ought to be, but I pray we would be reminded of the severity of sin, of what it means to sin against a God who is holy and perfect and righteous and just. I pray that you would convict us over our own sins. 
But Lord, I pray equally that you would remind us that, that you do not despise a broken heart and, and that you offer salvation to all who repent. So Lord, this morning, as we come before you to sit under the preaching of your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work. I pray that you would speak through Pastor Aaron. I pray that you would give him the words to say to us, your people. I pray that, that his words would convict us, would encourage us, and would point us to your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray for all of us listening. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be active in us, unblocking our ears, softening our hearts, and helping us to see ourselves as we really are and see you for who you really are. I pray that we would be reminded of the truth and of your grace. I pray that we would be reminded of the gospel and that as your Holy Spirit is working through these words, that our hearts would be transformed. Lord, I pray that you would be at work here this morning, and I pray that you would receive all glory and honor and praise as a result of what is said and done here. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, First Prez. It truly is a blessing to be back with you. Um, as you know, we were away at camp, and I got to tell you, I just want to say it was a real blessing. Um, I'm so thankful to the elders, to the leaders of the church who, who see the significance and the importance that is played that they allow the, the senior pastor to go to camp with the kids. But it's, it's an amazing week. And, you know, there, many of you stepped up to make it possible so that every kid who wanted to go to camp could go to camp. And I truly just want to say from my heart to you, thank you. You have no idea what... God is going to do in that week, but there's nothing sweeter than seeing children and teens memorizing scripture, singing praises to the Lord, and even making professions of faith in Christ. Truly, it was a fantastic week, and camp is truly a gift. And so, again, thank you. But when you consider the blessing that the children are to the church, and I look back at my own days of being raised in the church. There's nothing more horrible than seeing a generation move away from the living God. Can I get an amen to that? There is nothing more horrible than seeing a generation move away from the living God. We live in a day and time when understanding of the Bible, just basic Bible names, facts, points, is at an all-time low whole generation is growing up that is far removed from the Word of God. The truth of the matter be, if you've been in church very long, you've seen even those within the church fall away. Uh, before I left for camp, I had the opportunity to talk to one of the older saints in our church, and she was sharing with me how painful it was when she was a brand new believer, and she saw some of the church people fall away and how it hurt her because she thought, how can this happen? But see, we know that rebellion is a real thing, don't we? We know that, that re rebellion is a real thing, but it's not a new thing. In fact, if you look at our text this morning, we see the rebellion of Ahab. What you need to know about Ahab is Ahab was a covenant child. Ahab was a church kid. Ahab was a child of the promise, and yet Ahab rebelled. 
Now, this is an important fact when you, when you look at the life of Ahab. He, he was from the, the lineage of the people of God, the people of promise, and yet Ahab willingly rebelled against the Lord. Ahab willingly married Jezebel, the daughter of a pagan king. Uh, Jezebel was a non-Jew. She was a pagan. She was an idol worshiper. And Ahab willingly married her, breaking the very word of God's commandment back in Deuteronomy 7 where it says, you shall not intermarry with them, referring to non-Jews, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the angry anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. Yet Ahab didn't care about the word of God. Ahab didn't care what the word of God commanded. He willfully chose to marry Jezebel, the daughter of a pagan king. Ahab, the church kid, rebelled. And Jezebel did just that. She took him further away from the Lord. For Jezebel worshipped Baal, and she led her husband, Ahab, away to worship Baal, just as Solomon was led astray by his own pagan wives. Jezebel's actions didn't stop there. She actually led a cause to seek and kill the prophet of the Lord Elijah. She hated anything to do with the Lord. And she began to turn the heart of her husband Ahab against the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 16, it says this, referring to Ahab, he did more evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were ever before him. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Do you hear that? He was a wicked man, and yet I remind you, he was a church kid. He was a church kid. Most recently, Jezebel fed her husband's covetous desires by having Nabal, the owner of a vineyard, killed and taking his land. So here's the point. Our relationships matter. They're either driving us towards the worship of the living and true God or they're driving us away from the worship of the living and true God. There is no neutral relationship. All relationships are pushing you towards the worship of God or they're pushing you away from the worship of God. So friends, I ask you, are your relationships helping or hurting you regarding the worship of God? Are you helping others to worship the living and true God? Or are you pushing others away from the worship of the living and true God? The fact of the matter is we all live lives of rebellion. Every one of us is born in sin. Yes, even church kids like Ahab. And what does this rebellion bring? but words of judgment. In chapter 21, verse 16, we read this. As soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth to take possession of it. Ahab wanted to see that all that he has now gathered and claimed as his own. And what does God do about it? God sends Elijah to confront him. 
Understand this, church. God judges every deed, whether it's an open and known deed or a secret deed. And God sends Elijah to confront Ahab. Of the 13 verses from verses 17 all the way down to verse 29, nine of those verses report what God says because God is speaking through Elijah to judge Ahab for his sins. In verse 17, we read this, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who is in Samaria. He is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession of it. Notice that throughout this text, it keeps referring to the vineyard as Naboth's vineyard, not Ahab's vineyard, because God knows who really owns it. Ahab may fool himself, but God is not fooled. And when all of a sudden Ahab looks up from his vineyard that he assumes is his, his eyes see Elijah. Notice his words in verse 20. He says, you found me, my enemy. It just shows how far this church kid has really fallen, that he actually views the prophet of God as an enemy. You found me, my enemy. And hear Elijah's response. I found you because you've sold yourself to do what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. You've sold yourself. You've put yourself into slavery of sin. Yes, I found you. I found you to call you out. As one commentator said, he said, Ahab's ill-gotten vineyard turned into be a pile of sour grapes. It's important that we recognize that, that our sin always takes us farther than we want to go, holds us longer than we want to stay, and costs us more than we want to spend. And that's exactly why Elijah was confronting Ahab. Notice the charge in verse 19. He says, you've killed and taken possession. I know what you did. You've murdered You've murdered Naboth and you, you've stole his vineyard. God's fully aware, you, you church kid, what you're up to. And because of that charge comes judgment. Verse 21, we read, Behold, I bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up. I will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. Again, sin takes you farther than you want to go. It holds you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you want to spend. That's exactly what happened to Ahab as God's judgment is pronounced. Your sin is going to cost you your reign. It's going to be wiped out. There's going to be no male to take over your rule. Bond or free, slave or non-slave, there will be no males left in your household. They will all be wiped out. According to verse 22, we're told this is all because you've made Israel to sin. See, as a king, he was, had a responsibility to lead others. As a king, he had a responsibility to be a good example 
But rather than leading God's people towards honoring God and seeking his glory, King Ahab had been leading God's people away from God's honor and away from God's glory. King Ahab had actually been encouraging them to worship false idols. King Ahab had illustrated what greed and murder and robbery, that they were allowable if it benefits you for your causes. King Ahab demonstrated disobedience to God's word in every way of his life, including whom he married. And yet you might say, but Ahab didn't kill Nahab. Ahab didn't kill Nabal. Jezebel did. And while it may be said that Jezebel's actions were the one who killed Naboth, this is not an excuse. He can't blame his wife. Ahab knew better and he should have stopped it. See, as a king back in Deuteronomy, they were told that they were to actually write the word of God out themselves. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 17. The king shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priests. Notice that. What they're writing has to be approved by the Levitical priests. They can't leave words out. They can't leave commandments they don't like. They can't pick and choose what they want to be in the book. In order to write a copy themselves, it goes on to say, and it shall be with him, the king, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law and these statutes by doing them. See, as a church kid, he grew up and he had access to the word of God. He was supposed to memorize it and know it and to walk accordingly with it. But Ahab chose not to. Ahab chose the life of rebellion, of lust and greed and death. And now God brings judgment. Ahab failed. He failed as a king. He even failed as a child of the covenant. And we all know the church is filled with both believers and unbelievers, sheep and goats, And some of those goats, some of those unbelievers have been those who have grown up in the church right next to us. They've been playing church their whole life. They know the right words, the buzzwords. They they know the Sunday school answers, but their hearts have been left unchanged. And so God promises judgment. Judgment upon the house of rebellious Ahab. He's told his line will stop. There will be no male heir. In verse 21, he says, he'll cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free. In verse 24, he goes on to say, anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs would actually eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens would eat. That's an odd statement but it's actually a curse from the Old Testament for those who disobey God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 26, gives that clarity of cursing upon those who are rebellious to the word of God. And according to verse 19, the dogs would actually lick up Ahab's blood at the very place where Naboth was stoned. 
According to verse 23, the dogs would in fact eat Jezebel, Ahab's wife, within the walls of Jezreel. These were the prophecies given through Elijah to Ahab, rebellious church kid Ahab. And yet some reconstructionists, some biblical liberals today, don't believe the Bible to be divinely inspired. They say that this must have been inserted later after the fact. That's why it looked like a fulfilled prophecy because there's no such thing as fulfilled prophecy. That's just a a silliness that Bible-believing Christians hold to. These reconstructionists are trying to make a faith that's more palatable, more acceptable to the culture. And yet we read in 1 Kings chapter 22 that when Ahab was struck by an arrow, dogs, in fact, did lick up his blood. We do read in 2 Kings chapter 9, when Jezebel was thrown out a window, dogs came and ate her. Listen to the actual gruesome account of 2 Kings 9, beginning at verse 35. When they went to bury Jezebel, they found no more of her than a skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. When they came back and told Jehu, he said, this is the word of the Lord which he spoke by his servant Elijah. Fulfilled prophecy. And yet there are many today who will not acknowledge the word of God. How sad is it that some are willingly to deny the clear and plain text of Scripture. It shows the hardness of their hearts. The truth of the matter is, whether it's a biblical reconstructionist or a child of the church, Those without a soft heart will always deny the clear word of God. And friends, the rejection of the word of God only brings judgment. In 2 Chronicles 36, verse 16, we read these words. They mocked the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy, judgment. Judgment. Judgment for rebelliousness. Judgment for the biblical reconstructionist. Judgment for the church kid who with a rebellious, hard heart. Judgment. See, understand this. What we do with the word of God matters. I can't say that loud enough to you. What you do with the word of God matters. You can't pick and choose. What you do with the word of God matters. The question is, how are we responding to the word of God? Do we know it? Do we study it? Do we listen to it? Are we hungry for it? Do we actually believe it? Do we seek to obey it? What we do with the word of God matters. And then we read this hard line in verse 25. It says there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of God like Ahab. Let me read that again. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of God 
like Ahab. Goes on to say, whom Jezebel, his wife, enticed. She encouraged it. She encouraged the rebellion. She encouraged the idolatry. She encouraged the greed. She encouraged the lust. She encouraged the rebellion. So much so that in Ahab there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab. Like a child of the covenant. Like a church kid. You know how heartbreaking that is after a week at camp with these kids? To read this passage in light of that truth? To recognize how easy it is for our hearts to be rebellious and reckless and sinful because we think that ultimately it's just about us. We spent a week at camp looking at the book of Ruth. And if you know anything about the book of Ruth, it, it's, it takes place during the time of the judges when we're told that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. How similar that is to our own culture. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. And that's just not out there, guys. It's in here. It's in our own hearts. What we do with the word of God matters. And then we're told something absolutely astounding. Look at verse 27. When Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes, he put sackcloth on his flesh, and went about dejectedly. Ahab repented. Did he? See, that's the question most commentators wrestle with. What really took place there in verse 27? He's got the appearance of it. He's tearing his clothes out of concern for his sin. He's actually putting on rough, rough sackcloth against his flesh, acknowledging the sin that he is doing and the affliction that his sin is having upon others in the kingdom and before God. And he goes about dejected. But did he repent? Could it be that Ahab wasn't a non-believer after all? He wasn't a goat, but he was simply a prodigal, a wayward child of God? Was God now bringing him back home? Was Ahab's repentance true or just an act? It's a question we face a lot, isn't it? How do we judge others' repentance? How do we judge our own? And yet, the Lord, who knows hearts, actually boasts to Elijah, his prophet, about Ahab's humility. He does it not just once, but twice, using the word humility in reference to Ahab. Look at verse 29. Have you seen how Ahab humbled himself before me? Have you seen it, Elijah? The man who's been on the run for out of fear of death from Ahab and Jezebel? Do you see it? Do you see the humility? The truth is, it may be hard for us to accept Ahab's repentance. 
how can it be genuine? I mean, maybe we could accept Moses' repentance for striking the rock twice. Maybe we could even accept David's repentance for adultery and for lying and for murder. Maybe we could even accept Peter's denial of Jesus three times, and yet he repents. Maybe we can accept that repentance. But are we really supposed to accept the repentance of Ahab, who's described as that there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like him? But here we have the Lord showcasing Ahab's repentance to his prophet. Have you seen how Ahab humbled himself before me? Not once, but twice. And here we wrestle with repentance. What does it look like? What is it honestly? I'm thankful I belong to a denomination that has old creeds and confessions that I can stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before, that I don't have to make this stuff up as I go. I don't have to sit in a boardroom and say, well, what do you think it is? What do you think it is? No, we can go back to those old creeds and confessions, and this is what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says about true repentance. Look at question 87. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. It's not your own. It's a grace. And there's two things that happen. A sinner, out of a true sense for his sin and an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. Two things. They recognize their vileness, their wickedness. They're exposed. And in their humility, in their agony of their sin, they cling to Christ. Recognizing that Christ and Christ alone is their only hope. The the catechism goes on to say, with grief and hatred for his sin, he turns from it and he turns unto God with full purpose to endeavor after new obedience. See, as shown here, real repentance is identified with real humility. It's one who truly hates their sin, one who truly understands their need for Jesus. It's not just a moment in the time of a quick, I'm sorry, but it's an ongoing state of being, one who continues to put sin to death, one who continues to live unto righteousness. That's what true repentance, biblical repentance looks like. And so over time, Ahab's repentance would be known. But God, knowing the heart, knew it quicker than the prophet Elijah. See, here's the bottom line. God wanted Elijah to celebrate Ahab's repentance. Let me say that again. God wanted Elijah to celebrate Ahab's repentance. The truth of the matter may be this. We may not be able to understand God's grace to Ahab, but it does in fact show us the grace of God that is offered to us in Jesus. 
If we truly understand our own sin, then we truly look to the grace that God gives a man like Ahab, and we can't help but celebrate. For while we were yet sinning, God commended his love toward us. While we were in the very act of sinning, God shows us love. So church, I ask you, do you celebrate the repentance of Ahab? You should. Do you know your own need for the saving grace of God? Do you understand your own need to truly repent of sin in your life? Do you hate sin and are you clinging to Christ? That's what true repentance is. And that's what each and every one of us must do. And yet the narrative ends with this conclusion. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days. Because he's humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days. The narrative ends with Ahab being given more time. It's the picture of Ezekiel 33, 11, where it says, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his ways and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? The Lord is gracious and merciful to those who repent. And yet we read at the very end of verse 29, but in his son's days, I will bring disaster upon his house. Church, understand that sinners may be forgiven, but the consequences of sin remain. Sinners may be forgiven, but the consequences of sin remain. Yes, it's true, the consequences always follow sin. There's always consequences. We never sin in a vacuum. When we lie, we hurt people. When we steal, we, hear, we rob from others. When we commit adultery or lust, we affect others. Sin is like dominoes. We never sin in a vacuum. And for Ahab, the disaster would still fall upon his house. But Ahab experienced the grace of God. Oh, the sweet, forgiving grace of God. Church, the scriptures tell us that today is the day of salvation. It tells us that tomorrow may be too late. Why? Because when Jesus came in his first coming, he came as a servant to die. Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sin so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. He would take our nastiness and nail it there. Justice would be served and we would experience the beautiful grace of God. That's what happened at Jesus' first coming. But at his second coming, he comes not as a servant, but as a judge. He comes and he brings the wrath of God with him. 
the question for each of us this morning is where do we stand? Do we stand with the Lord? How have we been living out our covenantal upbringing? Many of us in this room have been blessed by parents and grandparents who've taught us the scriptures, showed us how to pray, wore out their, 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 church, their church pew. Their cars themselves could drive to church and into the service of the Lord. Many of us have been blessed with that. What are we doing with our covenantal upbringing? Are we truly repentant? Or are we rebellious? May we not presume upon the grace of God. I'm fearful in the church today. For many simply believe that if you just say a few magic words, you're good, live any way you want. Friends, I challenge you, you never find that in Scripture. Scripture clearly teaches those who have changed hearts will have faith and repentance, but their life will demonstrate a love for God and a hatred for sin. Where do you stand with all the blessings God has given you? Are you truly repentant? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this story of a church kid made king who chose the way of rebellion, may we truly see that nothing misses your eye. There are no secret sins, but all is, lay, is known and laid bare before you. And because of our sin, judgment awaits and yet, in your grace, you've provided a way of salvation. Lord, may we cling to you. May you be our rock, for every one of us is a filthy sinner. Every one of us is rebellious. And yet, Lord, we look at a man like Ahab and think, how can he be forgiven when we should celebrate your grace? Open our eyes, soften our hearts. Help us to celebrate what you celebrate when one sinner repents. But God, I pray that that repentance would begin with us. It would begin in your house here at First Pres in Trenton. God, we've prayed for revival for many years and we pray still, work in us. Let us be honest and let us be true. God, please move in our hearts and help us to repent and truly cling to Christ. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.